Welcome to the Two Techs Podcast. I'm your host, David Harvey, and I'm here with my co-host, John Andrews. In this podcast, we're two friends in two different countries here every two weeks talking about two different texts from the Bible. This is our launch series, however, so we're bringing you a daily episode of the two of us talking about the parables of Jesus. This is episode two, and it is called Why Parables? Okay, John, so in the last episode, we talked about the parable of the sower. But the parable of the sower is sort of wrapped around an awkward little little sequence of verses in, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 10 that I'm just going to read for us now. It says, When Jesus was alone with the twelve and his other companions, they questioned him about the parables. He answered, To you, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given, but to those who are outside, everything comes by way of parables, in order that they may look but not perceive. They may indeed listen, but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Well, then how will you understand all the parables? So suppose, John, when I read that in the middle of the parable of the sore, I I find myself with this question, which I think maybe a lot of people have asked over the years, which is, why does Jesus speak in parables? Yeah, it's a phenomenal question. And of course, when we're trying to answer that question, um, we are taken to this quote, which is from the prophet Isaiah, uh, one of Jesus' uh, favorite prophets, if not his favorite overall, Isaiah 6. Uh, uh, and, and of course, in the context of Isaiah, you're having this wrestling of God's message getting out to a people that are being threatened with exile and still, still not hearing, still not listening. Come, let us uh, reason together, says the Lord. Isaiah cries out right at the beginning of his prophecy. And he spends then the first five, six chapters desperately trying to get their attention uh, to listen. And of course, then you get this sort of phrase in Isaiah feels quite climactic. So when you read it in a vacuum, it sounds brutal. Uh, It's, oh my goodness, uh, what's that mean? (laughs) But when you, again, like we've nuanced before, when you read it in the flow of the context and what is trying to be achieved, it doesn't feel even as brutal in the Isaiah context as it sits there. So I think that's really important. And of course, Jesus, in in quoting that, I think, uh, and this is what's really helpful to me, David, I think the fact that this quote sits in the middle of the the parable of the sower or the soils and in the explanation is perfect. And again, if you take the middle bit out of the first bit and the third bit, it is going to frazzle your brain. If we keep it in the flow of what's going on. So this second bit um, where Jesus speaks from Isaiah is prompted by the fact that disciples are asking, uh, what does this mean? Tell us what it means. So Jesus is about to tell them what it means, but he gives this sort of pre uh, reference uh, from Isaiah before he starts, which is almost, okay, I'm going to explain this to you, but you need to understand that the way I'm teaching will mean some people are going to get this and some people are not going to get this. 
Some people are going to lean into these words and hear them, and some people are going to reject them. Uh, and of course, as, as we follow that trajectory, I think that leans even more. And if I can just say just two other things, it, it's really interesting to me. There are two other references to the Isaiah text. So the Isaiah 6, 9 to 10 text, which Jesus quotes here, two other writers quote it uh, in the New Testament, John, uh, in John chapter uh, 12, um, as almost an explanation, and it'll come to that, and in Paul in Acts chapter 28. So so John speaking in a sort of a context of his own people uh, says these uh, incredible words. So he quotes Isaiah, and, uh, and he says this, he concludes with these words. He says, Isaiah said this. So this is the quote from Isaiah. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus's glory and spoke about him. All right. Um, uh, and that has been preempted by the fact that clearly a lot of people are not believing Jesus. So, so it says at the beginning of the passage, verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. And then John launches into the Isaiah quote, though hearing, you know, you, you will not, etc. And then he says, right at the end, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders believed in him. And that I think John, I think John's understood what Jesus is doing there. So he starts off a bit pessimistically. Jesus is performing all these miracles; they're not believing. And then he quotes Isaiah, and it seems to be right. Nobody's ever going to believe the words of Jesus. But then he says, "Oh, and by the way, yet many, uh, even among the leaders, believed in him." So you get you get the tension of this. Some are hearing, some are not. And then Paul's reference is almost identical. So when he's speaking to the Jewish community in the in the book of Acts, right at the end when he's in Rome, um, they're struggling with some of the things he says. He quotes Isaiah in the same way that Jesus does. And then he says this um, as a, almost a writer at the end. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. And listen to this, David, and they will listen. <laughs> so, so we're back to that again. So so I I think I think Jesus uses these parables in a really interesting way in that if you're really leaning in and listening, you'll hear something and you'll grab it. If you're not listening or you don't want to listen or you're convinced that what you're listening to is nonsense, then you will be confirmed in your non-hearingness. Um, and, and so if you read it on its own, it sounds like, oh, well, some people are, you know, the message is going to come and you're never going to hear it. But but he's clearly not saying that. He's saying, actually, those that are leaning in are going to hear it. Those that are leaning back are not going to hear it. And and that's what Isaiah meant. And, and I think that's that's been really helpful to me in understanding why Jesus does parables so much. So you and me are, are both movie fans, right, John? And I... I think it's quite interesting because people sometimes will say to me, uh, you know this question, what's your three favorite movies, which always stumps me. And, and, and maybe it is just me, but but I want to say, well, can I have five? And if they say, what are your top five? I'm like, well, can I have 10? And But when I think through what my favorite movies are, I think every single one of them, I, I didn't understand the first time I watched it. And Maybe that's just my personality quirk, and, and you're more than welcome to tell me that that's exactly what it is. But but I find if if I watch like a romantic comedy or or some sort of easygoing movie, I might get to the end, and I'll say, well, that was nice, and it warmed my heart, or it was a nice family evening. 
But I sort of switch the movie off and, and never think about it again. Uh, in fact, sometimes I find myself on Netflix starting to watch something in then maybe 10 to 20 minutes in it, I realized, oh, I've actually seen this before, but it, it was so forgettable that I didn't remember that I'd watched it before. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had that situation. But then, oh, yeah. then there's other movies where you're watching it and even in the middle of watching it, you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to have to watch this again because there's something brilliant happening, but, but I know I, I'm missing it somehow. Um, and, and now I find myself thinking that when I listen to the parables, like I, I'm convinced, John, that Jesus tells parables because because we're actually bad listeners. I, I'm convinced that's what's going on here. But but I think there's also a level which, if we bring it into our time period, is that we're bad listeners. And I, I think for two reasons. One reason is I, I just don't think we pay enough attention to what's happening and, and what's being said to us so often. But number two, I think one of the reasons that we are not good at listening and don't pay attention is that we're overstimulated. There's just too much content for us. And therefore, we're sort of overwhelmed by content. Like, think about what a movie maker has to do today to, to really stand out. Or think about what a musician has to do. Like, in, in the 1960s, the Beatles, you know, the Beatles just had to play four chords a slightly different way. And, and I say that as a big Beatles fan, so I'm not disparaging that. But almost everything they did was brand new. Nobody had heard stuff like this before. But then we come to our time period, and the options are endless. We're even seeing musicians you know, being taken to court because their three-chord sequence sounds kind of like another one that was used in 1972. So we're overstimulated, and we need something to sort of break through all of the noise. And, and I think that in Jesus' time, as much as in our time, these short stories that the parables are, these, these puzzling stories, well, they're doing that. And so for me, that's quite a shift because I grew up being introduced to the parables with this phrase, which was that the parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And, and I kind of realize now that that's, that's like a terrible way to explain them because actually these stories are almost the opposite of that point. Many of the parables, the point is that they, they don't make sense when you actually, like when you actually pay attention and listen to them. You're thinking, well, if you listen to most of the parables, you'll realize that, that the people are behaving in them in a way that people don't behave. Like even the parable of sword, which we're kind of in that space thinking about that parable in this episode. You know, yeah, the seed falls down in different places, but but most of the time, if you were a farmer, you'd aim for the good soil. But this farmer, somehow he's he's just sowing. Uh, you know, if, if we just like pay attention to the parable just for a second, he's sowing in a slightly insane manner. He's sowing seed on rocky ground, thorny ground. There's a path there. And, you know, and, and this is not some big machine that he's using. This is ancient time. So he's doing this by hand. And I think there's a subtle sense that if you were a farmer and you were listening to this story, I think you'd be sitting going, like, who is this sower? Like, they've got problems. Because you don't just go scattering seed wherever. You look for where the seed's going to work. So there's this sort of holistic sense in the parable that something weird is going on here. Um, and so, so I kind of I take it 
following on from here, you know, I really like what you're you're saying, John, that, that and I hope what I'm saying supports that, that there's a sense that the parables are like, they're like earworms. You're going to hear it and then it's going to bug you because there's something not quite right about it. I think it's uh, Clarence Jordan that describes Jesus and his parables, and I really like this phrase, as, as witty hermeneutical hand grenades. Like <laughs> he says, like Jesus, you know, he his listeners and his it would generally not realize that they were the punchline of the parable until well after he and the disciples had had sort of left town, although the explosions could still be heard from a distance. <laughs> So Jesus, he just kind of throws it in and and, and says, well, hey, listen to this. And then he clears off. And I think you're on your way home. You know, you're walking your goat back from the market and you're like, wait a minute. I just realized what he was saying there. He he was having a go at us. No, I I think that's. I think that's fantastic. And I mean, that's what one of my favorite writers on the parables, uh, Robert Farrar Kappen, and he uses some brilliant, brilliant language about Jesus' parables. He says, Jesus didn't use parables to explain everything to people's satisfaction, but rather to call into question people's previous understandings. In other words, the parables are trying to upset our existing ideas and provide us with new ideas. They're, they're designed to to pop every circuit breaker in our minds and, and, and all of our yammer and our opinions about how God should or shouldn't run the world. The parables function to just get people to stand there with their eyes wide open or their mouth shut. And that would be a huge leap forward most of the time. And this is what Jesus is trying to do with the parables. I think, again, for us in the 21st century world, we're 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 having to almost uh, learn that, lean into that, and understand uh, the power that Jesus had in in you know some uh, quite provocative parables, and in others that just um, they're so short. You go, is that it? Is is it over? Uh, uh, and you know, well, what does that mean? And of course, I think that's the whole point. I think what you're seeing in the disciples in response to the sore is exactly what Jesus is after. He he's hoping that people are going to go, so just explain that to me again. Or, <laughs> okay, he didn't explain it. We need to find the answer to that. What did he mean? What, what's, what is the treasure? Well, well, you know, where is the pearl? Um, you know, the yeast and the leaven, what, what does that mean? And so, so the whole challenge is about people going, well, that was a cool story, but what does it mean? And of course, if we're then hearing then, then I think we're leaning into that, and, and there's a lovely little later on in the sort of Mark four. There's a a number of of beautiful little um, parables and stories that link together. The light on a stand. He said, "Whatever's hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is being meant to be brought out into the open." And and that's got a. I think that's the nuance of the parable that that there is a hiddenness in the parable. There is stuff disclosed in the parable, and it's not just going to be obvious, and you've got to lean in. And of course, today, as modern communicators, we're under amazing pressure to be like super simple, clear, clarity is keen, you know, don't leave people confused. And Jesus does the exact opposite. Well, actually, there's a hidden thing in here, and I'm going to just leave it to you to find that. And if you want to find it, well, well, maybe you can hang around with me for a while and you'll hear that or 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 you can go and seek to find out for yourself. But 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 I love that. I, I mean, he goes on to say 
in verses 24 and 25 of, of Mark. Whoever has, um, uh, more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Now, that is a classic, if you take that out of its context moment, that's brutal. It's still pretty brutal in its context. But, uh, but of course, if we're leaning into what you've just said with the parables, that there there is a hand grenade in the parable, then actually Jesus is saying, okay, those that are now starting to hear this, you're going to get more. Those that are not hearing this, you're going to think I'm completely bonkers or your heart, your heart is going to get harder and on and on it goes. And I, and I think uh, knitting those ideas together in Jesus parable strategy will help us work the parables out much more. And, and also not, not just work out the meaning, but work out the way he uses them, that he, he, he is supremely confident in the seed. And that's why he's just prepared to just dump a load of it. And then let it do its work. And it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And he seems to be, he seems to be at ease with that in a way that maybe modern evangelical Pentecostal folks that, that we sort of hang around with sometimes are, are, are not so confident, you know, let the word do its work. Well, I mean, I mean, you and me both have a background in teaching in the sort of Bible college seminary context. And, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes we wouldn't even let our students get away with what Jesus does in this sermon. <laughs> this always makes me laugh. Like, like I'm not sure how, how well Jesus would do in a, in a sermon teaching class, because I think, you know, people come up to Jesus and they say, well, I didn't really understand that sermon. And he seems to imply, well, you weren't really supposed to. <laughs> but there's a couple more things I, I just want to lean further into. And I love your language of, of, of leaning in because I think that's exactly what's going on here. But but it's interesting that, that Jesus, in this sort of intro to parables, if that's what we can call the parable of the sword, sort of key to all parables. Uh, now, so the word parable, parable is a Greek word. Parabole literally means to throw down beside. So it's fascinating that it's a parable about seed being thrown down. And the question is, what happens where it lands? You see, it's not the seed. Uh, that There's more going on here. That The seed is part of the parable, but there's a lot to interpret. And I've often sort of said about the parables that they resist a sort of single interpretation. They, they sort of invite you to say, okay, okay, I think I've got what this parable is about, but now let me dig a little deeper. And the deeper that you dig, you see new things. I'm thinking at the minute, like, for example, of the parable of the lost son. The more you read that, the more you realize, at least I've found this, that that there's more complexity to this parable. There's one lost son, but maybe maybe the brother is also lost. And maybe maybe there's two lost sons and maybe they're all lost. Maybe the maybe neither of them are lost. Maybe the father knows where all of them. And and Jesus seems to be inviting us to to kind of think more deeply about these parables. You know, Jesus is inviting us to say, okay, this is thrown down and I can read it and I can bail out wherever I want. But if I give it the time, then 
I might see more in there if I just keep reading. Um, there's this, there's this Jewish parable, John, and I, I really love this this parable. And uh, it, it's it's a Jewish parable about about some rabbis, and I think it illustrates the point that we're trying to make. And I, I hope it's not too sacrilegious because it is just a parable. But the Jewish parable of these two rabbis, and they they find a particular piece of text that they have differing views upon. So every single day, these two rabbis they get together at some point and argue about these texts. And it's driving everybody and insane. Because whether it's the end of a synagogue service or it's in the park or in the store, if they bump into each other, this argument about this biblical text starts. And so the parable the parable goes like this, that eventually it even begins to annoy the angels, right? <laughs> and the angels are fed up with these two men who have been arguing for like 40 years about this particular thing. So the angels come to God and, and they say, like, you got to do something about this. It's driving us crazy. So God says, okay, okay, I'll help. So God comes down to them and he says to the two men, right, you're driving us crazy with all your arguing. Uh, I'm going to actually tell you what this text means. And and in this moment of unity that's never been seen between these two rabbis before, both the rabbis turn to God and they say, don't you think you can come down here and tell us what the text means? <laughs> and, and and really, the rabbis are trying to make a point with this parable. It's it's an Eastern, I think it's an Eastern European rabbinic story. And, and the reason what they're actually saying is, like, stop looking for the singular meaning in the text. Don't just assume that once you've found a meaning. So even if God did come down and just go, here's the meaning, the rabbis would stay there's still things to wrestle with and explore and find in this text because the text is deep. And I think that as we talk about parables through these various episodes of this first season, I'm hoping that people will get that sense. Just little ideas will strike you. There'll be moments of illumination. And you, you, might, you might just find yourself thinking, I'm not even sure this is the main point of this parable, but I've seen it and now I need to unpack it and it's helping me. And so I kind of feel like the parables will need almost metaphors to explain them. But Jesus is sort of throwing the ball into your court and essentially saying, you'll get out of this whatever you're kind of willing to put into it. I, I think what Jesus does in, in the context of the parable of the sower, he, he, he gives us uh, boundary guidelines that, that sort of help us. Okay, that's nudging us, but the seed is this. The soil is this, right? But then within those boundaries, within those sort of accepted understanding of what these ideas are, there are layers. I I, I love the analogy when it comes to the scriptures in general and the parables in particular of the idea that, you know, uh, someone can read a parable and just find gold on the surface. And there it is, a lump of gold. And they go, wow, wow, that's amazing. But but of course, wherever there's gold on the surface, it's normally an indication that there are reams of it underneath. You know, if you've just got a lump of gold sitting on the surface, uh, you know, it's either someone's dropped it or it's it's emerged from from underneath. And and so if if people go, wow, I just read that today over coffee and I found a piece of gold and you go right instead of settling for that piece of gold, recognize there's a ream of that stuff under the surface. So if we can help each other get the pickaxe out and the shovel out and the pneumatic drill out and sort of like go down on this thing in terms of drilling down deep, my goodness, I, I think, and, and you and I, look, I, I'm, 
I've been a Christian a million years and I've read the Bible (laughs) cover to cover for more times than I can remember. And I've had the privilege of studying the Bible all my adult life. And it feels like I am, to use another metaphor, forgive me, it feels like I'm standing at the bottom of Mount Everest. And I've been climbing this thing for for uh, all of my life, and I feel like I'm still. Though I feel like I've made progress, I feel like I'm still. Wow! I, and David, I, there are days I wake up and I open up the glory of the scriptures, and I go, "How have I missed that? Where has that been hiding? Why didn't I see that before?" Um, and that, if I had a pound for every time or a dollar for every time that has happened to me, I would be independently wealthy. Um, it's just, it's just incredible experience. And I think that's the parables. I think parables are going, people go, Oh, cool story. Um, and then just deeper, deeper, deeper. And the layers take us into something of the heart of, of God and his kingdom. I think part of why I really like that little Jewish parable is that I, I think the rabbis are m- making the point that, that the God that God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't come down and stop two people who were deep in discussion about the text. Because somehow in in all of that arguing, and I, I mean generously in the arguing, I don't mean like hurting each other, but in the arguing, the wrestling, the, 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 the exploring the text, that's where our growth is. And 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 that's where we when we bash against each other with our with our understanding we grow in that process we see more in the text by wrestling it through i think it's a very western thing to say hey give me the meaning and then i'll move on so i'll turn up at church the pastor will preach the sermon on the parable and that's all there is but but the parables they're there to be wrestled with and it's even interesting to note that as the gospel develops the explanations from Jesus about the parables start disappearing and the parables are just presented. And it's almost like the gospel writer saying, no, just now spend your time with this. Listen to it, wrestle with it, and let's see what thoughts come out on it. And, and see, because the thing for me is the parables, the parables seem to quite regularly disrupt us. There's quite a lot of the parables that we'll find as we explore them. They're actually kind of offensive, and if you if you pay attention to them, they're they're disrupting. Uh, now, I, I've heard the parables referred to as discourses, and then I really liked it when somebody said once that that, that you almost want to spell that dis dash courses because what they do is they dis course us. They knock us off course. They they take us off track. So your, your life is going in a particular way and you think you've got everything under control. And then you encounter one of Jesus's parables. And and if your response to the parable is, well, that's, that's just ridiculous. I couldn't do that in my life. You're possibly getting quite close to what the parable is actually trying to do. <laughs> the parables are uncomfortable. They're, they're discoursing us. They're, they're knocking us off track, which is fascinating to me because in so many traditions, we've just relegated them to like Sunday school, you know, like, like kids' stories. Oh, I, I totally agree, David. I, and I think I, I would, I would uh, you know, obviously we'll have to be careful of the language we use, but I would say Jesus is gloriously and compassionately subversive in some of these things. I think that he uses the parables to absolutely dislocate people's worldview. Um, you know, uh, uh, sometimes he's very subtle about it, but sometimes he's absolutely full on in your face about it. Um, 
you, you know, you have heard it said, he gloriously repeats six times in the great sermon on the mount, but I say to you, um, <laughs> and, and he, he has the audacity as this rabbi from up north, you know, to challenge the establishment, to challenge um, well-worn interpretations of the kingdom of God, for example, which is one of his most magnificently subversive ideas. Um, and he challenges that to such an extent that it absolutely polarizes uh, the scholarly establishment and also um, sections of his society um, because he is he is dislodging well-worn ideas. He's dislodging uh, traditional interpretations. Never once does he break the law. He didn't come to abolish Torah or Moses or the prophets, but he came to fulfill it. Absolutely does. But he he is he is he is full on in challenging the ideas that have allowed to settle around that truth um, and the parables. Uh, and we'll get to some of those. You know that that uh, the, you know those lost son parables. That that so called good Samaritan parable. You know these these are dynamically, gloriously, wonderfully subversive to me and you reading them from a distance. The the, the you know initially oh great stories, but of course if we're prepared to travel into the world of meaning Jesus is articulating these stories that, as you said, have been relegated to to little Sunday school stories are profoundly countercultural, and they are deeply, deeply uncomfortable if we're listening properly. And and I love your idea, and I think you're absolutely right. I think there are moments where Jesus gives really detailed explanations of some of his parables. But I think as his audience get more and more used to the parabolic style, it just like, boom, drops it in. <laughs> well, what's the meaning of that? Okay, that's that's move on to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's the uncomfortableness he's creating. He is creating a sort of a I know what I'm talking about, but I want to make your world uncomfortable enough to have enough urgency within it to rethink the text, to rethink the ideas or to open your uh, open your heart again to listen in a way you haven't heard before. And I think that's what makes the the parables magnificent in as a genre the bible scholar amy Jo levine uh, she says that if you hear a parable and your response is i really like that <laughs> she says she says that might be an indication that you're not listening properly because there's even moments in the parables which are kind of absurd and you know, somebody just recently reminded of this is that like Jesus says, for example, uh, to a group of religious leaders, imagine a man had a hundred sheep and lost one. Well, instantly we've missed the absurdity of that because sheep were considered dirty and shepherds were considered unclean. And Jesus says to a bunch of religious leaders, imagine you had a bunch of dirty sheep. Well, none of them would have had sheep. And so the whole absurdity of the parables it's kind of it's kind of crazy and offensive right from the start. And then he goes on to say, not only does God have sheep, if he loses even one, he's going to go out and get it. And so the whole level of absurdity brings with it a challenge and then an uncomfortableness. And, you know, and I just want to squeeze this in, John, like 
like I'm no poet. In fact, sometimes I feel a little tone deaf when it comes to poetry. Uh, and that's to my great shame. But I have many friends who tell me that, that I need to understand more poetry, particularly to help me understand theology. But Eugene Peterson, the great Christian writer, is often my way into sort of understanding poetry. And he quotes at the start of one of his books, this piece by Emily Dickinson. And it says this, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight, the truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children, eased with explanation, claimed the truth must dazzle gradually, or every man be blind. So, I... I like, like apparently this is one of Peterson's favorite uh, pieces, but I particularly like it in reference to Jesus' parables. You know, tell the truth, but tell it slant. (laughs) But the reason that you tell it slant is, I love that final line, is because the truth must dazzle gradually. So there's this sense that Jesus is going... Uh, you know, and so many parables rush to mind <laughs> when I say that. I almost want to teach all of them. I think of the vineyard my workers, one of Jesus's most scandalous parables, where there's this idea that you can scrape in at the end of the day and get a full salary. Like, <laughs> if Jesus is theologizing in that, then it's a riot because he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you something about what God is like. It's as if Jesus is saying that. But but it's going to blow your mind and you're not going to accept it. And you're going to say all sorts of things about God. And you're going to rage against me, and you're going to say it's not fair, and you can say it's not, and you're going to say it's inconsistent. So what I'm actually going to do, says Jesus, is I'm going to tell you a story, and you're going to slowly come to realize what's being said in this story. And in the process of coming to realize it, you're you're going to be able to cope with it because it's going to sneak up on you, kind of possibly slowly. And I think as we explore the parables, I'm hoping that that's what we kind of get out of them. The sense that Jesus is telling this truth, the truth slants. Actually, because he loves us and he wants us to get it, but he has to kind of sneak it up slowly on us. Mm, absolutely. No, it's beautiful. It is It is beautiful. And I think I think for, for any of our, our listeners who, who have made, like probably we have a a a fairly substantial journey in terms of time in following Jesus. I've been a follower of Jesus since I was eight years old, um, consciously, and and I'm now fifty four, and uh, th- that has certainly been my experience. The the glorious um, slow burn of truth that actually works its way, worms its way into my world, into my mind, relentlessly challenging me not allowing me to to step back and you know once you've seen it you can't unsee it once you've heard it you can't unhear it you know we can do things with what we see in here but once you've seen it can't unsee it and and that's the that's the health warning with the parables you know you, you've <laughs> got to say to people look uh once you start delving uh, you'll see stuff you can't unsee and you have to find a file to put that in. And once you hear some stuff, you will never, ever be able to unhear it. And then you got to like square that circle in your experience. Um, but but I found, David, uh, with I found, look, jump in, jump in, follow the breadcrumbs, 
wherever it leads, as painful as it can be sometimes, as uncomfortable and as controversial as it can be sometimes, follow the breadcrumbs because it always leads to the kingdom of God. And I think that's the, that's the key of the parable. All right, that's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode from our launch series on parables. If you want to get in touch with either of us about something we said in the show, you can reach out to us on podcast at twotext.com or by liking and following the Two Text podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you did enjoy what we had to say today, we'd love it if you left a review or a comment where you're listening from. And if you really enjoyed it, why don't you share it with a friend but that is it for now we're back tomorrow with another parable for all of you but until then goodbye